I'll always have someone say, Mrs. Miller, I can't do that. And I'll say, you can't do that yet. You can't do that yet. But you're gonna, you're gonna do it by the time we're done because that's what we're gonna do. And I'm gonna ask you to do lots of things in here that you can't do the first time, but you're gonna be able to do them because I'm gonna teach you how to do them. Welcome to Sing, Coach, Conduct, the podcast for singers and singing teachers. Welcome, singers and singing teachers, to another episode of Sing, Coach, Conduct. I'm your host, Megan Ferrison. Christy Carey Miller was once a small-town girl with big dreams of one day becoming a film actress. But her band and choir director in middle and high school lit a fire for her that eventually set her on a different path, one that has led to her being nationally recognized as a master teacher, conductor, composer, and arranger. Wait until you hear the story of the very first song she wrote. I think many of us will be able to relate to it, though we may not have the skills that Christy has to put feelings into music. But one of the best things about this episode is how Christy approaches teaching and learning, how she encourages all students to succeed regardless of where they start when they get to her classroom. She makes singing and learning musical skills accessible and provides the tools and inspiration to light a fire in the hearts and minds of her students. Enjoy. So I'm here with master teacher, composer, conductor, Christy Miller. Um, Christy, I am so excited to spend time with you today. And uh, we've already gotten to talk a little bit. Um, we've had, we've gone through all fun technology struggles. And so I feel like we are already fast friends. So um, I want... <laughs> I want to start with um, this discovery that I had about you, which is about the fact that you um, were an instrumentalist before you got into vocal music. And so I, I want you to talk about that and just talk about your, your journey a little bit with our listeners. Okay, I would love to. I, I grew up in a small town, and I don't know if you know anything about small towns, but in a small town, you get to do everything, right? Because if you don't, there aren't enough people to do any of the activities. But we just happened to have this really dynamic band director that came to our town, and he lit a fire under lots of people, not only the parents and the people in the town, but the students. He lit a fire of all these exciting things that he wanted to do, and he was a big dreamer. And uh, we all were gravitated towards him because he was so, he was a Pied Piper, you know, one of those people that just drew you in. And uh, that, that experience being with him, from, I, we started with him in fifth grade. It was fifth grade was still elementary school, fifth and sixth grade. But he taught us, you know, the flutophone. <laughs> Those were fun. <laughs> Flutophone first, and then we got to uh, graduate to a real instrument, which I became a clarinetist. Not the best clarinetist, because I was having too much fun socially doing other things that I really didn't want to dedicate my, <laughs> you know, uh, my extra time to learning how to play the clarinet better. But yes, I was a, a clarinet player, and he took us to 
many wonderful things and uh, took us to many wonderful places through that process. So, yeah, that's uh, what I did. What is his name? Jerry Cross. And he's no longer living, but uh, there were many of us that we can go back to our clash reunions and talk about Mr. Cross. He brought in uh, jazz instrumentalists from all over the United States to play for us. Uh, Clark Terry, I don't know if that name means anything to you or not, but he was a, a, a jazz trumpet player that was on the Johnny Carson show. And here was this little town of New Kirk, Oklahoma, in uh, you know 2,500 people total in our town. And he brings in Clark Terry to do this concert. He takes our kids, our jazz band to Jamaica for a contest. That was the kind of big dreamer he was. He just wasn't limited to the wow. size. How, yeah, how did he great. do that? How did he get those people there? I mean, what was what were his connections? He just asked the right questions. Sometimes I think as music, music teachers especially, we just don't ask because we're afraid or we don't want to infringe on anybody's uh, time or I don't know sometimes I think we're the low man on the totem pole but I think if music teachers would just ask and then tell people how exciting it could be and sort of get them on board then big dreams can happen that way and I think that's what he did I'm really he glad asked. that you brought that up and in case our um, you know our listeners are wondering you are still currently teaching so for oh my you gosh I know right oh wow 42 years. 42. How, how is that possible when you are 46 years old? It, it, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, just, I started as a babe. That is for sure. You know, I tell my students that, uh, you know, how you do the, here school has started and everybody on Facebook posts their first day of their 14th year, whatever. I said, you know, if I were to include, this is my introduction to my students this year, I was going to take a picture and put it on Facebook today, and it was going to say, my first day of my 58th year, and they all <laughs> looked at me horrified, and I said, well, if you include kindergarten and, you know, all of my elementary and junior high and high school and then college and then all my teaching, I mean, they just could not fathom. They just kept thinking I was lying, and I wasn't. I, I was telling them the truth. <laughs> Yes. I think it is a very shocking. I mean, you are so, you're very youthful looking. You're very energetic. Oh, yes, absolutely. You're wearing, people cannot see your, your Gwen Stefani sunglasses, you know. That's but, right, you're but right. But they're there. They're, they're very, there. very, very classic. <laughs> so I, you know, I wanted to bring this up because I think sometimes when people, when teachers hear someone saying, well, you just, you know, you need to ask, you need to ask the right questions, that I think that sometimes people go to that place in their head like, oh, but you, you know, oh, you're not teaching anymore. You don't know what it's like to be a teacher. And here you are like, I do know I'm still teaching and I'm doing all this other stuff. So I want to dig in a little bit more about this, Christy, because I want you to tell me, you know, uh, how is it that people should ask? What can they do? Because sometimes they ask and they do get nowhere. They get frustrated and there's, there's all these things going on in teaching now. And I wonder if you can validate this, that teaching when you started is perhaps different than it is today. Absolutely. Um, we, yeah. So, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts about all that? Well, let's see. As far as the ask goes, um, I think 
that teachers need to just show this excitement and how it's going to benefit their students. It's not about them. I mean, it has to be about the kids. And then if you get a no, you just keep knocking on the door and asking mm -hmm. again and again because that squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? Mm -hmm. I think my administration, you know, sometimes I ask those big questions too like that. And if I get a no, I try to come up with a solution that will help them say yes. And I think that music teachers are creative enough that they can do that. Uh, of course, things have changed because when I started off, uh, it was easy to do field trips. Even if we didn't have the money, we could try to find that. But it was easier to do those things. Now we're limited because of different social things you can or cannot do. Um, you know, those, those times have changed. But uh, I think the teachers just have to believe, and then they have mm -hmm. to have the fire and just like a salesman they have to sell it to those administrators and let them see this is this is going to be a great thing for our kids and let's get it done hmm. so you're currently teaching middle school kids correct that is right there's a halo over my head when i say that <laughs> oh middle school kids they're great they're so awesome <laughs> you know what I, i'm going to tell you I, I feel the very same way and i'm pretty sure that any middle school teacher out there loves middle school because they wouldn't mm -hmm. be in it if they weren't. And mm -hmm. they love the middle school mentality. Those mm -hmm. are kids that are absolutely so unsure of who they are and what they are and they're searching. And we get to help them find that direction, mm -hmm. uh, especially in our art of music. We get to help them feel something important and be someone that maybe they can't be in other areas. But that's what I love about middle school is that it, it just provides me to see these kids come from this cocoon into this butterfly. <laughs> that is it's pretty special. Oh, so let's go back in your journey. You know, you were in band and you had this incredible band teacher. And did you know then that you were um, going to be a music educator or that you were going to write music? I mean, what was what was going on at that time? You know, I, I, I don't know. I was not one that thought ahead. I know so many kids that I teach and even my friends in high school, they were all about forward thinking. What do I want to do now so that I can prepare for my future? And I was a live-in-the-moment person, like, let's, again, have fun. I'm very social, and I just kind of thought in that line. I loved what the uh, band opportunity gave me. And I may I say that when I was a junior in high school, a, a choir teacher moved in. And she also ignited this hunger in me. And... Um, she became my personal piano teacher as well, but she could see that I was a good music reader, so she'd say, let's put you in seventh hour choir. Well, there wasn't seventh hour choir, so really basically what <laughs> she was doing was uh, having me, giving me music and having me uh, sing whenever I could come in and sing with the choir because I was a note reader. But mm -hmm. both of those things sort of, she just really, she took me to that next level and when I got into college, I really was going to be an actress. That was my main thing. I was certain that I was going to be on the big screen. And I took my first acting class as a uh, freshman my first semester and realized, this isn't what I want to do. 
<laughs> well, you know, the acting classes are in the same fine arts building or close to as where the music people are. And I could hear the singing going on, and I'm thinking, I can do that. I, I can <laughs> sing. I can play instruments. And, I, you know, what am I doing in the acting world when I'm really a better musician? Hmm. So it was the second semester that I made that switch. But in my mind, you know, if you've ever heard Tim Lotzenheiser say, close your eyes, can you picture that person that really made a difference in your life and directed you towards music and music teaching? And then he'll say, open your eyes. He said, I'll ask the same question in a couple years when you're much older, and I'll ask it to the room full of music teachers I'll have, and they'll close their eyes, and the person they'll see will be you. And I, when I closed my eyes, I could see her. I loved Mr. Cross, but she was the one that really I wanted to be. I wanted to be a choir teacher like her. So when I figured out choir was going to be or music was going to be my thing, then I thought of Miss Riedel. That was what I wanted to do. She was actually Miss Hudson, but she came Mrs. Riedel later. Uh, and as far as music writing goes, yeah, I had been playing around on the piano. You just asked my parents. My mom and dad could tell you that they were at 11 o'clock at night. Christy, can you go to bed, please? Because <laughs> it's late, and we don't need you to play the piano anymore. Well, I wasn't practicing what I was supposed to practice. I was making up songs, you know, <laughs> and so that was something, and you know, my very first song, people always ask you, what was your very first song you wrote, and I said, well, my very first song was in sixth grade, and a boy broke my heart, mm. and I wrote a, saw, a song to go to a poem, I don't know, I can't even remember what the poem is, but I know that the song went with the poem, it was about you know, a broken heart. Mm. And I would sit at that piano and play that song and cry and cry and cry, but oh, little did I know <laughs> it would turn into a career. Or not necessarily a career, but a side career because my career is teaching. Oh. But anyway. So, um, so that's how it got started. Uh, through, through a heartbreak. Through the... <laughs> so you Who knew? Who knew? You did me a favor. That, there you go. There you go. So, so then did you continue to uh, write? You know, you're like, oh, like this is something I, I enjoy. It's a way, it's an outlet. And, and did you just keep writing different songs as you went through school? Well, I was also in a church that um, that's how I learned how to sing harmony. Because my mom and dad would take me to choir practice. And sit in the midst of that. And my uncle Tom was a previous band director. And he had been my mom's band director, in fact. And he'd married my mother's sister. So he was our choir director. And my Aunt Margie, who he married, was in the choir. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of singing and hearing from that. But small. Remember small town? Mm -hmm. And they uh, needed special music every once in a while. And I just said... I'll just write a song, <laughs> and I'll sing it while I play it on the piano. Oh. So, um, so you I wrote music. Songs. You wrote songs for church. Then that's awesome. Yeah, they weren't very good. <laughs> <laughs> My poor congregation. They had to put up with all of that. But oh. I, I, I just remember my dad would come in. I would write the song. I understood. My ears understood what. Uh, you know, so so many times my kids will come in and they'll say, I wrote a song, and they'll listen to it, and it's sort of the same melody over and over, mm -hmm. and it's definitely the same four chords. Of course, I'm thinking, they can get that from the radio because that's what happens now, four chords, mm -hmm. and then the song evolves around that. 
but uh, I understood that I needed to have a verse and then something different for chorus. And uh, so that made uh, me understand how to work that for the church. Mm -hmm. So those songs built the foundation. But my dad would come in and he would say, Christy, why don't you write those songs down? And my response was, I don't have time. Hmm. And really, kind of what it was is I didn't have time because I was going to have to figure out how to do the everything. I'd have to figure out how to do all of that. But when I did finally figure out how to do all of that and started doing it and then getting paid money because I had songs that would sell, mm. I figured, well, that's, you know, that's worth my time. <laughs> yeah. Kind of sad. Yeah. But I, my writing name is Christy Carey Miller because my dad's, I, my, my name was Christy Carey. Mm. And I kind of do that as a tribute to him Aww. because he's the one that said, you need to write things down. That's so, so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Ugh. So how did you get started? Well, I had another question earlier too, and it was about when you switched over, you know, you decided I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to act. I'm going to go uh, be a choir teacher. Did you feel immediately um, like you were home? Like, did it feel like, yes, this is, this is it. And, and did it come easy to you or did you struggle? No, I mean, the moment I did it, it was like this fog had gone away mm -hmm. And I just could see clearly down the road where I'd never been a forward thinker. Now I was in my car. Mm. I was driving it. I knew where I was going. And it was it was easy for me. I had some good training growing up, but I didn't have some of the training that some of these other people that had gotten through their bigger programs mm -hmm. or uh, just the experience of doing it. I, I know that now. I recognize that now, too, that, I, gosh, I never learned that. But uh, hearing things was easy. I was a good reader, mm -hmm. music reader, because of my piano skills that I'd had. And um, it just, it was just an amazing thing to take a hold. And I wasn't, you know, let me, let me backtrack just a tad for, when I was growing up and taking piano, you know, everything has a reason. Mm -hmm. You don't see it till later on, but everything has a reason. When I was growing up taking piano for the first four years of my piano life, I took from a teacher that was sort of young. She hadn't ever taught before, and I was one of our first students. And she let me play the piano for four years, and I didn't know how to read a note. Mm. Because what I could do is she would play it for me, and then I would mimic it. Oh. And when I finally switched to a new piano teacher, and she realized I'd been taking piano for all these years, and I didn't know how to play, she taught me notes. And she just couldn't believe I'd gone that long without learning how to read music. Mm -hmm. Well, what that did was it enabled me to hear things in my head and write it down. So by playing by ear really was an enhancement, even though it was detriment at the very beginning of all that. So I don't know where I went on that. But anyway, no. I, need, I need to make sure you knew that. <laughs> no, I think, it, oh my gosh. So when you were talking about that, I was thinking um, about how 
we can get so focused on one or the other. You know, it's like, oh, well, that teacher tends to lean on teaching road or this teacher is really focused on reading. But but there is advantage to both, you know, working with our students to be both readers, to have those music literacy skills, but then also to have good ears, you know, that you're training piece too. So even though, yes, it's like, well, yeah, you might have felt like a disadvantage at the time. It was helping you in this different way. Like it was a benefit to you in a in a different sort of way. So I, that's what I, I was thinking about. I tell that to my about. kids all the time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I tell that to my students all the time. Your ears are just as important as your mm-hmm. as your voice. But, you know, when you're born, you know, just pop out and say, yo, ma, dad, thanks for having me. <laughs> Be- instead, for a whole year, they spend looking at you saying, Say mama, mm-hmm. mama, and finally you repeat that. So I said, your ears are really important in your music development, and they were in mine. Mm. But I just did it backwards. Usually it's the other way around. <laughs> you learn to read music first, and then your ear comes into play. No, not me. Oh, well, the other. I'm so glad you were willing to make that step, though, because I think sometimes people get stuck with, I I don't read, and they accept that. You know what I mean? I listen, but I don't read, or I. And so, no, I think I think all of that is really great. I'm really really glad that you did backtrack and share that. So that's good. <laughs> um, so what grades? Yeah, just talk about what grades that you you have taught and um, how you've in, incorporated the things that you've learned into your teaching style. I have had the opportunity to teach everything from kindergarten to twelfth grade. Uh, my first few years of teaching were grades 7 through 12. I did that for a couple of years. And then I transferred to my hometown. I didn't transfer. I got married. And we moved to that area. And I taught first grade through 12th grade. Now, that is a step right there. But oh. I did that for about five years. Ooh. And, you know, you can't blame anyone about kids not knowing anything when you're the person that feeds your own program. <laughs> That can be a good thing, too, right? Yeah. So I did that, Mm -hmm. and then I went to an elementary school because we moved to another town and spent time teaching sixth grade, which is elementary in in that town, and then moved to Oklahoma City, which is where we live now, but started teaching grades one through uh, six, then one through five when they switched to the middle school concept. And gradually we grabbed those kindergarten kids. And uh, then I taught that level for about 20 years. Then moved to where I am now. I have been Mm -hmm. teaching middle school for 12. I think that I always draw every lesson somewhere. It seems like I pull memories from things that I did, Mm -hmm. either as a student myself or... uh, in the past, but I pull those things in. I pull things that I did with my family on vacation. Mm -hmm. If I want to warm the kids up like middle school kids and they want to be silly, we'll think of something. Oh, we used to sing this little song around the campfire or things like that. So, you know, I think that's what we as people do anyway. We pull those memories Mm -hmm. and mix them together with what we got going on and, and make it happen that way. So what are some of your favorite middle school warmups? Oh, goodness. <laughs> we have several. In fact, I have I have a book out that I put together with a um, another music middle school music teacher. Mm-hmm. It's called Quick Starts for, for Young Choirs. And none of, it's not like all of the ideas in the book are ours. We stole them from other people. Mm-hmm. But we also have some of our own things in there. Mm-hmm. 
But one of the very, my very favorite ones that I do is with my sixth grade on the first day of class, and it's called Dumb Diddy. And I'm sure many people out there know of this song, but it has four different levels of actions that you can do, and then each level gets harder. So the last level, the fourth one, is where they have to pat their legs, and then they have to take their right hand and touch their nose while the left hand touches their ears, but they cross, they cross it. Then they have to pat and go the other direction. Well, I mean, the kids, they just get so confused, they can't find their noses while they're doing it because their, their hands are actually crossing planes. And uh, we do that song, and then they laugh, and I'll always have someone say, Mrs. Miller, I can't do that. Mm. <laughs> and I'll say, you can't do that yet. Mm. You can't do that yet. Yes. But you're going <laughs> you're gonna to do it by the time we're done because that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to ask you to do lots of things in here that you can't do the first time, but you're going to be able to do them because I'm going to teach you how to do them. Oh, I love that, so. that you adding yet. I love, love that. And, um, you know, in any uh, classroom, you have that, um, the potential for students to understand that, yes, you may not know this, but someday, you know, this down the road. But I love that about the music classroom because it's, it's so personal for them. And if they can't do something right away, then they think, Oh, I can't do it. It's like, okay, but if you were an Olympian, I mean, what Olympic swimmer, you know, like couldn't do it the first time and then said, well, I'm done. You know what I mean? But for some reason, there's this um, perception of singing or whatever that, and it could be a cultural thing where they think you either have it or you don't. And I wish I knew, I wish I knew what happens because honestly, so many, and, and you probably know this too. So many kids will come to you and they'll say, well, I can't sing. And I'll say, well, who told you you can't sing? Well, what it really is is that they were maybe in their brother's room singing a song, and the brother says, you can't sing. And they think that they really can't sing mm -hmm. because the brother did that, and really what the brother was doing was trying to get them out of the room. Mm -hmm. Maybe would have said something ugly anyway. But they come to you with that concept that they can't sing. Now, a lot of times I'll take those kids and I'll warm them up, and you can see that they are lacking mm -hmm. in that background but a lot of times I'll say, you know, it's not your, it's not your voice that's having a problem here. It's your ears. Mm. Well, now all of a sudden they're okay with that. <laughs> Their ears aren't something they control. Mm -hmm. They have no control over that. And then I'll say, well, we're we're going to work on your ears. We're going to work on getting those to where they hear better. Because if we can do that, then your voice will do what it needs to do. Mm. So anyway, uh, that's kind of where we go with that. And. I just want kids to understand this is what they think, especially in a middle school choir. <clears throat> they think that everybody that enrolls in choir has got a lot of ability. And I say, you know, of all the people, this is a big old bunch of people right here, and I'll, hand, I'll show my hands and it'll be big. <laughs> this is all the people that enroll in choir, and then this little tiny bit right up here, those are the people that are really talented. Mm -hmm. They come in talented. They were born talented. Really, really tiny. But the rest of us down here, and I was one of the rest of us, we are just average. We're just figuring it out. Mm -hmm. And we can't get better. But in here, you will. You'll get better because this is the age when you're going to grow and you're going to learn and you're going to get better. But you got to keep singing. And those people that are really good, we're going to catch up to them. 
we are. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, yeah. So, it, any student coming in, regardless of where they are in your classroom, feels like they are capable of moving up. It's not just the people that come in and already have it or whatever that are going to succeed. Right. How do you um, how do you place your kids uh, in in the beginning of the year? How do you know what what part to put them on, or what what is your kind of start uh, beginning of the year process? I teach fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, mm-hmm. and fifth grade is treated as a general music classroom. So I am not in a choir setting with them. Mm-hmm. We will talk about good singing, but we'll also play instruments and music history, and some theory, so we mix it in. Uh, Sixth grade acts more like a choir, and then seventh and eighth grade I have divided tenor bass in one class and treble voices in another class. Mm. Now, the beauty of teaching where I teach is it's a small private school. So in the fifth grade, they're, they're divided into four classes, and they come to me individually like that, I will only have maybe 16, that's small, sitting in front of me at a time. And as they're singing, I can walk by and listen and hear what I've got going on. And I give them some opportunities to audition so you know who's going to be a strong singer, the ones that want to audition, whether they're good or not. They, you can hear a little bit individualized singing. I have everybody sing happy birthday to me by themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have to do it in a small setting, so I don't do it in front of the class. We do it sort of privately. But I can hear them sing that way. Now, that sets me up in fifth grade. Now I know where we're going and who I've got. And then in sixth grade, 90% of the kids I had in fifth are there. And I'll have a few new ones, but we basically do the same sort of voicing in that uh, uh, situation. I'll... Just have them come in in small groups. I have an accompanist, so I have that flexibility where she can be with one group mm-hmm. while I'm with another. And then I have a private room where they can come in and sing to me, and I'll just have them vocalize with me or sing happy birthday. And those kids that want to audition for things, uh, I get to hear their voices. So now I know kind of how to classify them, where they're going. But when they get into 7th and 8th grade, they're told, hey, I'm going to be voicing every one of you. We're going to find out what your range is. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to find out what color you are. And I, I say, you know, an artist cannot paint a picture unless they know what color there is on their palette. If they have a lot of yellow, they're not going to paint the moon at night. So I, I said, I just need to know what colors I'm working with. I just don't want them to think that it's about them. It's about me. I'm trying to figure out how to put, put them where they need to go. And then, like most middle school teachers, if you've got kids that are pretty good Note readers, mm-hmm. they're the harmony part. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in the treble choir, they're going to be the harmony. I'll have a couple people that I know have this beautiful, lovely, darker color sound to their voice. I want them there. Mm-hmm. I've got some of those that can be only, they're lofty with their sound, so I'm going to put them as a soprano. So that's pretty simple. But some of those treble voices, they can switch back and forth. A lot of them don't think they can, especially those altos. But I can't sing that high. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, you can. You can sing that high. You just don't talk up there. That's why you don't think you have the voice. And you, I, I love that you do it individually. 
that you you listen yes. to each of them because as you're going down the row, and I've seen a lot of teachers do this, you know, they line up their kids, and we're talking high school, you know, too, as well. Right. And they walk down, but it's very, very difficult to assess all of the things, just like just like you and I have a personality, all these little bits that make up uh, who we are, uh, our students' voices are just like that, and there's so much more to placing them than range. Um and timbre and things like that. Absolutely. So, so I'm really, I, that's so exciting. And I, I'm really uh, hoping that that is going to be really useful information for a lot of people. Cause I, I know on Facebook right now, there are lots of threads about what do I have my kids sing when I audition them? Do I listen to them individually? Do I? And so you just kind of answered a lot of those questions. You talked about happy birthday, which is a genius idea. That's so right in your face because they're always thinking, I think sometimes like, Oh, say, can you, you know, and, and these complicated, and here we are, sing happy birthday, which is still. Well, everybody knows it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's. A, Can't say they don't know it. And it's supposed to be an octave fully, like when it's, when it's over, like. Right. And you know what I love about that too? Hold on. What I love about that too is that um, I will say to them, okay, now there's going to be this little jump and I usually demonstrate it. Would you do that? I need for you to flip over to that little head voice thing that we've been, mm. you know, doing sirens in. See if you can f- make that flip because a lot of them will try to chest it up. Or if they do it for me in a chest, I'll say, okay, let's go back to that one little spot. Can you just flip over to that head voice for me and see if that jump is better or easier mm. for you? And so that too tells me if they have that capability of getting there. Now, in the defense of these teachers that are doing it the other way, mm-hmm. I don't think, I, I don't know how I would have time to do it if I didn't have an accompanist, number one. Mm. And number two, my classes are smaller. If they've got 60 in a class, it's much more challenging to try to figure out how to listen to them individually. Mm. Now, I'm trying to think, okay, what would I do if I had that? Maybe I would put them in a general section and then work with them at 10 at a time for different days to try to hear what they are all sound like. Mm-hmm. But I would definitely try to get them in there on their own with you any way they can. Just to, Sometimes you just need to do that to build their confidence. <laughs> wow, you have a pretty good voice. Or the thing that I see and hear so much with my middle school kids that I've had before, especially from 7th to 8th grade, was, goodness sakes, what happened to your voice over the summer that you, you turned into this your voice is so much stronger now. I can mm. hear the difference. And they know what I'm talking about because I've been their teacher. That's great. So, so you get to have that, that one-on-one. You get to – there's that yes. connection. I mean, even just having the opportunity to say hi to them when they walk in, hello. And so you have spoken to them one-on-one. And then for you to be able to say that, yeah, like you've grown so much as a singer since last year. And they know you're telling the truth because you know what they sounded like. That, yes, exactly oh, right. It's great. And nine out of ten times, I'm right about that. But every once in a while, <laughs> somebody just needs to hear that they, hey, hey, I'm hearing some improvement. And they, I do hear an improvement. There's obviously going to be kids that will never get to where maybe they want to be or to where some of your other great stars are. But I just need them, if they started at A, they need to be somewhere off of A and get to letter C or D or E. They need to be down the alphabet from where they started. What do you feel um, 
is a a strength of yours in the middle school classroom where you you can really see that results are happening and uh, perhaps something you can offer to other teachers who um, are struggling or feel like, man, I could really do this better than I'm doing it? You know, I have to say that probably my greatest strength as a teacher is my ability to connect to the kids because they know I love them and they know I care for them. And then from there, I am average at best at everything else. There's not going to be anything I'm going to be able to tell somebody else that's been working poorly. Hey, hey, let me tell you what an interesting thing about me. I have a hearing problem. Hmm. I have had a hearing problem since I was in kindergarten. I didn't know I had a hearing problem until I was a sophomore in college. And then I found out my hearing was so bad that I could probably get hearing aids as a sophomore in college. But, of course, I would never want to do that, right? But I have continued with the hearing problem. And finally, about, oh, 10 years ago, I got hearing aids. Hmm. And it was like... There was all this noise that I didn't even know existed. And now I was, I was a better at blending my choir once I got those in there. But I had compensated so long without them that I don't have some of the skills that some of these great teachers have. I know because I can't hear it, even with my hearing aids in. Now, I'm not totally deaf, believe me, although my husband might disagree with you. He thinks that sometimes what I say is selective listening, honey, because <laughs> sometimes I don't want to hear you. But um, that, that has been something that has kept me from mm. probably being a really great choral director. But I am really good at making a connection with my kids, and I am really good at drawing them in and making them feel good about themselves. I, I, I believe that. And right now, as a middle school kid, I think they need to have that. I'm not throwing out musicianship. I'm not throwing that out the window. It is absolutely essential for me that they sound good. And we get ones at contest, and we get ones at sight reading. So I can get that end of it done. But my connection is finding them in the hall, reaching out to their parents and letting them know that I think their kids are doing great in class and letting them know about special things that I hear and see, being interested in their outside extracurricular activities. That's what probably makes me the best teacher at what I do. Thank you for that. What is your ideal middle school sound? Oh, I always have a joke in Oklahoma because I'm an Oklahoma teacher. I always say in Oklahoma, we don't have diphthongs. We just have triphthongs <laughs> because they just chew every vowel up that they can. But my ideal middle school sound is this beautiful rounded shape. I'm not real dark in my colors as far as making them pull it back too far. I like that bright a little bright in my color mm -hmm. uh, quality. So we do talk about the soft palette and bringing the sound, uh, taking it back a little bit, but I don't let them go too far back. Mm. Uh, good diction, making sure that I can understand those beginning and ending sounds, and then applying energy behind. I, I need for this on the face to be looking like what's coming out of their mouth. 
And sometimes, you know, when their faces are down and, or they're not showing any expression, there's no expression in the vocal sounds either. So we work on that, and that produces to me a more energetic, uh, a prettier sound. Unified vowels, mm -hmm. I could, that would be, if they could all do that, that would be wonderful, but... Do you We're have do you have some vocal pedagogy background because your approach to singing with them not drawing it back is something that uh, a voice teacher would be more likely to to do at least in my experience of watching different uh, choir directors and the sounds that they they look for. You know, I was a piano major in college because I had more experience with that. And I didn't feel myself as a vocalist, like because I'd come in as a band background. Uh, but I took voice lessons in college, which you have to do. And I was in the choir programs in college. Um, I wish I had more vocal pedagogy. I've learned a lot from watching others. I've learned a lot from attending all the Allstate things and seeing the directors and hearing what they do. I've learned a lot from my friends and listening to what they do and making mistakes and not doing it right. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I can only do what I've got the knowledge up here. And uh, I, I think I'm getting there. After 42 years of teaching, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably getting there. And I need to know. I, I'm a lifelong learner. I'm never. I never stop going to workshops and things because I think that you can always learn something new. Hmm. And you've presented a lot at at different different workshops, conferences, things like that. What What are some things you presented on? Um, when I present, it's generally on uh, some of the corals that. Maybe I'll do a reading session mm -hmm. where uh, we get to present some of the things that have been written and are out there. I like to incorporate things that I do in my classroom and how I would teach the song to uh, my kids or how I would use it or some things that I see that are music concepts that come out of this particular song. So reading workshops, uh, things like if I did a quick start that was the book that I was referring to. Sometimes I've done sessions just on that. Um, I've done sessions on assessing for elementary students. That was a workshop that came off of a book that I had done called Assessments in the Music Classroom. Mm -hmm. um, most of the time, the workshops that I will do will be based off of resources that I have had the opportunity to create. Mm -hmm. How, how do you feel about um, taking your music knowledge and all of that and then putting that into writing and creating these books and, and being an author, essentially? You know, how that, that just seems like it's, it, it's even a different skill in its, own, in its own right. Or did you feel confident going into that? Are you talking about EEMC in general or just writing resources? Just your writing resources, just uh, because you have several um, published resources and I so I wondered right. what what that kind of process was like for you where okay well now I'm going to be writing books and I'm going to be doing these things so what was that <laughs> like for you you know I think you write out a necessity for what your needs are mm -hmm. um, or at least I have in my because I'm a teacher I'm thinking what do I need in my classroom uh, 
that I can't find that anyone's done out there? Or what can I do better that somebody's already done that would benefit me? Mm -hmm. So that is how I have approached the teaching of, re I mean, the writing of resources. It's like, what, what do I need? Mm -hmm. And then it's easy to be creative with that. Oh my gosh, I see these teachers all the time that are, you know, that are coming up with resources and ideas that they use just because they need them for their classroom. Mm -hmm. So that is the mindset. You go in with that. Um, now I have had a few projects that were presented to me and said, hey, we think this would be neat if there was a pentatonic book where all of the songs are pentatonic, but they can be combined together. Can you come up with that idea? Mm. Well, then you get, oh, wow, this is so much fun. I feel like, oh, this is great. I get to color all these pages in this coloring book because I've got all these ideas. <laughs> so sometimes resources come to you like that. Mm. And, uh, but it's been, it's been really great to use, hey, this helps me. So I'm going to put it together in a book format and a resource format. Mm. And so maybe you it'll help you. Wonderful. I'm lucky enough that I get to have somebody that will publish my things. Mm -hmm. But uh, Talk to me about your work with Hal Leonard. How did you, um, you know, how did that relationship begin? And, and then tell me, I, I do want to come back to this essential elements of the music classroom, okay. you know, and, and we talk about, because that is a, a new, new project. You know, um, <laughs> when I started teaching um, in Oklahoma City, I happened to be fortunate enough to be hired for a brand new school. And they were going to have an opening, and they asked my choir to sing. Well, I didn't have, I mean, just, I just started at the school. It was going to be a fifth and sixth grade choir, and the theme of the opening for our school was going to be to teach the child is to touch the future. Yeah. And that's a Krista McAuliffe's a quote, and she was the teacher who, went to space and was killed, tragically killed in the, in the um, explosion. Well, we took that theme and I looked everywhere to find music that would fit what was going on. That's when you do, you know, maybe I could write a song. Mm -hmm. So I got my music skills out that I'd used in church and I came up with some lyrics, and then I wrote the melody to put with it, and, uh, and I wrote it in a choral format for my choirs to sing, and we sang it at that opening. Mm -hmm. And I had a couple people that said, what a great song, where can I find that? And I said, well, you can't because it's mine, and it's not published or anything like that. Well, why don't you have it published? I don't know. <laughs> so uh, about that same time, we had to have a musical, or we were going to do a little music program with the... Uh, yeah, the older kids, and it was a Western. That was what I would picked. And it wasn't a musical. It was just a collection of songs, but they were all, it's called Westward Ho, written by Linda Spevichek, dedicated to John Jacobson. That's a, wow, that's an old story. But anyway, <laughs> so it wasn't long enough. I needed one more song, hmm. and I couldn't find anything I wanted. Uh, but my daughter at the time, she has, was four years old, and she used to play a game with my husband where he would pretend to snore. So he would, shoo, shoo. And she'd get right in his face. And just as she would get up on his face, he would wake up. Mm -hmm. And it would scare her. And so she loved playing that game. So she would always say, Daddy, 
let's play honk shoe. Let's play honk shoe. And I thought, oh my gosh, why don't I write a song about a grandpa that snores and I'll call it honk shoe. So I did. I wrote the song and the, the uh, end song, the end of it was Grandma Dead tried everything that she could to get him to go to sleep and, I mean, uh, to stop snoring and she couldn't do it so she just finally that figured out the only way that she could fix it is if she got to sleep before he did. Hmm. So anyway, I took that song and wrote it down in format. We sang it for the program. Well, it just so happened this woman by the name of Emily Crocker, <laughs> who I had just seen in a workshop in Texas that summer before all of this started happening, had made a mention that if ever there were music that we wanted to try to get published, they were taking music from unsolicited writers. So I had these two songs, Teach the Child, Touch the Future, and Honk Shoe. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to send these in and see if they will, they're good enough to be published. Mm -hmm. So I wrote them down to what I thought should look like. And now here's the deal. It was on big paper, big manuscript paper, right? Mm -hmm. But I shrunk it down so it was in octavo size. Why I thought that was important, I don't know. But I did, and then I sent it in. Mm -hmm. And I didn't tell anybody because you don't want that to be out there or people are going to ask you the whole time. Have you ever heard anything back? you ever heard anything back about your music? I didn't tell anybody. Didn't tell my husband. Didn't tell my parents. Oh, wow. No, nobody. Nobody knew. <laughs> well, a Friday after school, I get home. My kids are young. I have a baby, and I have a four-year-old. And uh, I happen to go get the mail, and I see this manila envelope, and on it, it says Hal Leonard. And so I'm thinking, wow. I tear into it, and here's this, this note from a lady by the name of Emily Crocker. And she said, we think we'd like to take these for publication, but these are some things we'd like you to change. Mm -hmm. Number one. Please blow this up to a regular size <laughs> manuscript. <laughs> Number two, these are the other things that you can do. Well, I fixed them. I sent them in. And, of course, I was just doing cartwheels over the house. Nobody was home for me to call. My husband oh. was officiating football. I mean, my mother and dad wouldn't answer the phone. My sister wasn't around. Nobody was there. And my kids are trying to figure out, why is mom doing cartwheels in the house? But anyway, um, those two got published through her help. She was my editor. And, um, of course, when they came out, I found out that they were in print. I, um, I went to the music store in Oklahoma City, and I said, I've heard you have Teach the Child, Touch the Future. That was the first one that came out. Yes, we have that. I said, I, I want to buy all the copies you have. <laughs> which was only nine. They uh -huh. only had nine, uh -huh. but I bought them all. And uh, so I took them home, and I looked at them, and the next day I taped several of them to my shirt. I went to school. <laughs> and I said, can you tell what I got on today? I've got my music on today. But anyway, oh, my God. That was the beginning. She took my music. She was my editor. She was the reason that I am writing. I thank her all the time. She has been such a good friend, but she's also a starter. And she, she believed in me. She flew me up mm. to Milwaukee 
which is where Highlander is, and she said, okay, this is what we need for you to do. We need to develop you into a, a, um, a middle school writer. She didn't even know I was going to teach middle school because I was still teaching elementary. We want to develop you into writing music for this age level, the Young mm. and Developing Choirs. So they trained me, and later on, uh, Audrey Schneider became my primary editor for most of the things that I wrote, and I learned from her because she's a teacher. She says, this is what I need you to change, and this is why I need you to change it, mm -hmm. which is really important. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's how I got started, and I, I thank them all the time. I say, I owe you a drink. Every time we go someplace, I owe you a drink. <laughs> so, yeah, you just – you got – um, you got started, and then you had all these great mentors to help you improve and uh, improve on I your did. craft. And wow, I mean, you just say those names, and it's like, yep, wow, what a gift, what a gift for sure. I have been so blessed. You know, there's a lot of people out there that can do what I do. I'm fairly certain of it. But I just happen to be in the right place at the right time. Mm. And I, you know, I thank God for that all the time because it has become an outlet for me, and I feel so lucky, so fortunate. Some of my best friends are people that I sing their music all the time. But those are the people that I get to call my personal friends, the Rollo Dilworths, the Mac Huffs, the Roger Emersons, the Emily Crockers, the Audrey Snodges. I mean, I could go on and on. Mm. Andy Beck. I love Andy Beck, mm. and he and I are good buddies, and mm. it's because of that. Tell me about your music. How would you describe your music to somebody else? Uh, accessible, because I write uh, probably, I don't write unusual melodies. I try to write melodies that will stick with you. I try to do the music writing, the voice writing, so that it is easy for young and developing choirs, which is what I would say. I have to tell you this, though. This is, I married this honorary man that was in here earlier, I married a man who is not a musician. Hmm. And uh, he appreciates what I do, but he didn't have that background growing up. Mm -hmm. So about the fourth year, third or fourth year of my music writing, they used to send me uh, recordings of all my songs so that I could hear what the, they were going to sound like on the promos or whatever, but the full recordings. Now, here's a guy that when I was 40 years old, he went to take me to see Les Mis. And he thought it was a musical, meaning that there would be some talking going on, and there wasn't any talking going on. And about two hours into the show, he turns to me as I'm crying to some song, and he says, I know why they call this Les Mis, because I am sort of Les Miserable right now. I said, well, <laughs> grin and bear it, buddy. So I have this husband that's not necessarily musically trained, and his fourth year of my music writing, and I'm listening to my music in the car, and I said to him, hey, honey, here's, here's my songs. I want you to listen to them, and he's listening to them. Now, he says this. I don't mean for this to sound bad, and by the way, if you're a husband out there, don't ever start a conversation with your <laughs> wife like that. I don't mean for this to sound bad, but your music sort of all sounds the same. Well, that's what he says to me. Mm -hmm. And then I said, box music sounds the same too. Right? Mm -hmm. Of course, he's like, who's Bach? Now, I, I, he's not that bad. He does know, right? But the point is, all of us that are writers, 
we sort of have a certain style that goes with what we do. Now, there are some out there that are able to write in multiple styles, and I admire that. But I said, you know, I, when I'm filling a program up, I'm thinking, I need a little Rollo Dilworth here, and then I need a little Roger Emerson over here, and then I need a little Andrea Ramsey here, because I know what colors each of those mm -hmm. writers bring to the table. Mm -hmm. And I just need those elements to fill. So I'm hoping my element is accessible one that will the kids will enjoy singing, that they feel some success while singing, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. That's great. You know, I was going to say to your husband, you can tell your husband I said this, that yeah. you know, ACDC, you know, every time that you're listening to an ACDC song, but nobody complains about that. Everyone's like, it's ACDC, turn it up. Like, I mean, it's so, it's just like. Right, that, right. <laughs> Like, so everybody, you talk about this voice, you know, all of these different people that you mentioned, um, they all have a voice. And I think that instead of us trying to be, somebody else or like, oh, I have to fit all of the different, you know, I got to please everybody and I've got to find out like, like own the voice that you have and the gift that you, and, and so when you're speaking about this, it just really resonates with me. And I am just so happy that you mentioned all of that. It's just great, <laughs> great stuff. Great stuff. Um, so I, I, I do want to quickly come back to this, uh, the book with Hal Leonard, because I want you to, to tell listeners, you know, what is it about, um, when will it be coming out? Just any information that would be useful to them. Okay, EEMC is already out. It's Essential Elements Music Classroom. Now, Highlander's been real successful with Essential Elements for Band mm -hmm. and Essential Elements for Orchestra. This is now designed for the elementary classroom. Although there are some things in there that could fit for your general music classes in uh, the middle school. Uh, what it does is it provides a digital platform for teachers to use with students. There are over 500 songs that are available that are, have already been produced by Hal Leonard or they're putting on those websites. The teachers can use them to create playlists for teaching purposes. They can use them for uh, accompaniment tracks if they wanted to have a concert. And they're just very high-quality things. In addition, there are lessons for kindergarten through fifth grade. Uh, their goal is to have 30 lessons by January 1. And I believe that they are working on time with all of that. But the lessons basically will guide them through six different units that uh, they believe that's important for those elementary kids to have. So my job in that has just been sort of to work in the background as a consultant to say, yes, I think this is working or this is what I would change if I, you know, we're going to be using this in my classroom. I've had the opportunity to write some lesson plans for that on the fifth grade level, especially since I'm teaching fifth grade, mm -hmm. and uh, help pick out resources that will work. I think I love EEMC, too, because there's a lot of virtual resources available where they can um, access world music drumming, mm -hmm. um, a, a rhythm cups book. It's uh, boom whackers. Mm -hmm. There's a boom whacker booming on, on basics. There's just all kinds of virtual books that they can use. 
I have a lot of those books, but I can't always find them. I don't know about anybody else, but I put them things in places. So it's nice to have all of those in that one spot. What's really neat about EEMC, if people are interested in that, is that there is a 30-day uh, free trial. Hmm. So they can try it for 30 days. Everything that's there, they can try for 30 days. Hmm. And if they like it, they can invest. And it's very affordable. It's under $200. So, you know, that makes it for teachers that don't have a budget. I always said when teachers would come to my workshops, if I were presenting a reading, reading workshop, how many of you came with a PO? And you'd have one person or two people raise their hand. Of course, then I would say, what's that number for that PO? Of course, they'd laugh, ha, 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 because they knew I was trying to get it. But I said, how many of you came with OMs? There's a pause. I said, OMs, you know, own money, your mm -hmm. own money. And the rest of the people would raise their hands mm -hmm. because... Most of us, that's what we have. Now, not that people want to spend $200 of their own money, but you could find parents that would help support that program by saying, I've got this great resource. It costs less than $200, and I need somebody to help pay for this mm -hmm. if they've got the incentive to try to help kids. And here's an example of one of the songs that you could maybe share. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's going to be a great resource for lots of teachers once they get a hold of all of that. And that's what I get to help be a part of, and I'm, I feel really lucky that I'm out there doing that. What do you still dream about in your career? Like, what, what do you dream of doing someday that you haven't yet retiring. done? Retiring. <laughs> <laughs> I dream of retiring. You know, I'm just, uh, you know I, I just, I don't know if my dreams have changed my dream is to continue to make a difference in kids' lives. Mm -hmm. As far as my aspirations as a writer, I, I keep hoping to find music or write music that will inspire teachers or that they will be able to love and want to use with their students. Mm -hmm. I think that's everybody's writers. Every writer, they don't necessarily do it for themselves. They do it because they want to bring joy to other people. Mm -hmm. So... No big dreams for me, just sensible ones, maybe. I I, I don't know. I, I might disagree with you on that. I think that all is very, but to, to feel that you're making a difference in the world is a is a big deal. Um, and is. you are definitely doing that. So, and it's, and you're just doing the thing every day. You know what I mean? You're, you <laughs> had those goals and it's great. It's really, really wonderful. So, um is there anything that you wish I would have asked you, any question or anything that you would have liked to say that I didn't give you an opportunity to say? No, I, I think you've been very, um, you've got a great grasp on it as a music person. You can tell that that's a big love that you have, and I appreciate uh, all of your questions from me. It's been an honor to be on here with you, mm. and uh, I, I it's kind of funny when you when you people do ask you to say things out loud that you've been thinking in your head. There's a lot of emotions or feelings that you didn't realize you had that get to come out. So those things make it nice. I'm blessed that I was raised with parents that love music. I'm blessed that I have in this community where I live in Oklahoma City a lady by the name of Kathleen Reynolds who has been a big and huge mentor to me that's helped me realize my dreams as a music teacher and as a composer. I'm blessed that I have an honorary husband that even though he's not musically equipped, he's 
has an appreciation for what I do. And I have children and grandchildren that I adore. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have always been supportive of what I do. Mm -hmm. So there you go. It's in, an, it's in the book. How long have you been married to your honorary husband? Oh, my gosh. Too long. <laughs> Is he still there in the room with you? Is he there in the room? No. Okay. No. I, I, Good thing. Because he was, like, doing things that was drawing my attention away from you. And uh, I just couldn't concentrate. Uh, We've been married 38 years. Uh, 38. Congratulations. Uh, That's great. Great, great. Uh, how, how can people get a hold of you, Christy? Um, I am available at, um, my email is cmiller at heritagehall.com. They can also reach out to Hal Leonard, and Hal Leonard has a way of reaching out to me. If they just want to get to a contact person there, they can do that. Mm -hmm. Those are probably the two most successful ways to get a hold of me. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. It has just been a joy to spend this time with you. And you are just so much fun, so much energy. And thank you for everything that you're doing to make a difference in the world. Well, Megan, I thank you for making this podcast available for lots of people that need to have somebody out there because they feel like they're on an island. Mm. And sometimes to have that connection makes all the difference for their mentality and their attitude. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Sing Coach Conduct. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe to the show by clicking the subscribe button.